How would you like to earn more money by being a better boss? Hey, this is Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Chris Ducker, who is an in-demand world-class speaker, international bestseller, runs three seven-figure businesses, has over 7 million podcasts, and is changing the game of online entrepreneurship. In this podcast episode, Chris and I speak about his experience buying a business, what he learned, and what you can learn from his experience when you're buying your first business as well. Chris and I dive into a similar shared experience that we had around burnout in our business, overworking. We talk about how it happens, why it happens, how to avoid it, and what you can actually learn from it, how it can shape you as a better business owner and can help you grow. Not to say that you should go through this and you should achieve burnout. If you can avoid it at all costs, please do learn from our lessons. But there's so much value to learn from what we talk about uh, in that scenario through this podcast. We just talk about how to hire people, not just to give work to people, but hire people to excel and push your business forward into growth. We talk about what tasks you should actually be hiring and when you should be hiring people for those tasks and also why you should be hiring for those tasks versus some other tasks that you should keep for yourself. We also talk about why you should pay your workers more, which will allow you to get still get a better return on your investment when you do pay them more. We also talk about a winning mindset around being a boss and how to get the best from your workers so you can earn more money through your business and have more fun. This is such a valuable episode. You guys are absolutely gonna love it. Go away and check it out. Do you wanna build or grow your content website? Niche website builders have helped hundreds of people to take their content websites from a few hundred dollars per month to over tens of thousands of dollars per month with crafted content creation, buying age domains, and link building strategies. These strategies have helped people increase their traffic, authority, monthly earnings, and their website valuation too. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash B-O-B forward slash to get 10% off any link building or 10% more from their content creation services. That's nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob forward slash. I'll put a link in the description too. Chris. Welcome to the Buying Online Business Podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. First question I want to ask you is around acquiring businesses. A lot of people are very interested in buying businesses. It's the name of the show, obviously. Uh, and then I'm, we're going to quickly segue into some growth because that's where that's your main thing is you've helped so many people scale businesses. Um, and there's some so, so much to unpack there. But have you ever bought a business before? I have. I have indeed. Yes, one. I bought one business. Congratulations. And what were there any hardships? What was the hardest part about it for you? Um, I think the hardest part for me was um, the waiting side of things. Uh, I think that, you know, us entrepreneurs, we, we want to move quickly, don't we? You know what I mean? Particularly when we're, we're bootstrap type entrepreneurs uh, like I am. I've, I've set up and, and grown several businesses in the last 18 years. And what attracted me to buying another business was the ability to be able to scale very quickly by doing so, obviously, right? You, as we all know, you inherit staff, you inherit clients, you inherit systems and processes and not just income, right? So that that was the big reason why we made the acquisition that we did. Um, but with that being said, though, it took too long. 
<laughs> you know, it's like all that due diligence and the accounting stuff and everything that goes along with audits and, you know, negotiations and everything. It, it just, it ended up being like a all in all from kind of beginning to end. It was like an eight, nine month ordeal for me. Um, and I often look back and think, man, if I could have just gotten my hands on the reins properly a lot sooner on, things could have, you know, got moving a lot faster. It's fr- it was frustration. That was the biggest problem, frustration on getting started really more than anything. Yeah. It, it, and if you had have maybe in hindsight had known the process so you could streamline it and, and move through it faster, you could get through that next that next step, right? Was this a, an acquisition that you went out and you tried to find a deal to purchase or was this something that, you know, came across and you're like, this, is, this would be a good it was very interesting, actually, because I I had been looking for a while um, and kind of gave up. Quite frankly, I didn't I couldn't find what I was looking for uh, after a good eight nine months or so of, of looking, almost a year of looking actually, and genuinely like actually actively looking, um, <laughs> speaking with people regularly, going to events regularly. You know, putting myself into situations where I thought we would be able to find something pretty regularly. Um, and I kind of just gave up and nothing really, there was two or three kind of close hits, uh, which turned out to be misses. Um, and then something just literally landed on my lap. I was at a dinner party and, uh, one thing led to another and I was sat, you know, opposite to one, uh, to somebody that I ended up buying this business from. So yeah, it's quite serendipitous when I look back on it, you know? It's probably from all that compounding of all the energy that you put out there to attract that, hey, I'm open to buy a business. Yeah. Right? So I wanted to- yeah. I, I, yeah, I tend not to do kind of like rah-rah, but I think maybe the universe was on my side on at that dinner. It, it was giving me- it was, Given me what I was putting out there for a while, it's coming back to me. Yeah, it sounds like it. I just want to highlight this for everybody listening is because, you know, you went through that period of nine months close to a year of looking for a business and they went, oh, well, this is this is really, really hard. I'm so glad that one did come across you and you purchased it because there are so many people that go, oh, I want to buy something and they look at this thing for three months and they go, oh, this isn't, you know, I can't make money quickly here and then they just leave. When in the fourth yep. month or the fifth month, they could have gone away and found something. It's, you know, that's the reason most people fail in business, right? Is because they get so close to that obstacle or overcoming it before they, and then they leave and they miss out on all that compounding growth and all the things that they've done to drug, have to go away and start again and again and again and again, um, which we'll come, we'll probably come back to in our conversation around how hard it is in business when you just move from next thing to next thing as you and I entrepreneurs trying to like contain our energy in one focus direction so we can get the best results. But what, what was it for you that made you move into business and being a business owner versus say the regular nine to five? I think, you know, um, it, it was, Honestly, it was also frustration. Um, I want to try and get across. I'm not a super frustrated guy, uh, but um, I think what it was, you know, I'd, I'd been in the sales and marketing industry my entire career. Mm. And um, at the time of deciding to walk away from that quote unquote steady income, uh, I was working with um, a small business based over in Miami. Um, very, very successful business, multi-million dollar business, uh, but relatively small. And the guy that was heading it up, the owner of the business, was away from work, super cool dude. Like I'd fly into Miami, 
um, you know, for, you know, two, three weeks at a time, we'd work with each other on stuff. It was in the infomercial business. So one minute we'd be writing scripts, the next minute we'd be casting, next minute I'd be in an audio booth recording voiceovers, you know, then, you know, in the afternoon I'd be on the phone with, you know, uh, distributors in Europe closing deals, you know, all that. It was very much a kind of all hands on deck scenario, which was great and I had no problems with. And like I said, away from business, super cool guy. Um, Floor seats at the Miami Heat games, you know, Prince's pre-Super Bowl show. I mean, like, you name it. I was there, right? Nice. Um, but then the moment we went into work mode, he was just a complete nightmare to work with. Real micromanager, um, and, you know, to the point where I'd have to copy him in on every email I sent, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was on my way back from Miami. I was based over in the Philippines at the time, and uh, I was on my way back from Miami. Uh, I was at 37,000 feet on a Cathay Pacific flight, and um, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I was over there for a month. I'm done. So I wrote the email on the plane. When I landed in Hong Kong, I hit send, uh, thanks to the Wi-Fi in the airport, um, and that was it. You know, I took about a month and a half off, just relaxed, uh, kind of rebuilt that mental bandwidth a little bit, and then started, you know, taking big, fast action. Uh, and within a matter of 45 days, we were up and running with our our first uh, kind of medium-sized business. I should also say as well, I did have a consultancy that had been running for several years uh, prior to this moment where I was, you know, kind of doing extra work on the side, very much working for myself. But ultimately, you know, it was a very, very good paycheck. I was uh, bringing in a lot of business for him. I got great bonuses, uh, but I just, I was done. I was frustrated working for somebody else. I, you know, figured if I'm going to work 10 hour days, I'm going to do it for myself moving forward. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. We set up our first mid-sized business. It was a call center, uh, still up and running now. Uh, it has 350 employees. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a multi seven figure business on that, on a revenue basis. So yeah, you know, it was, it was a good call, put it that way. Jerry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then all the other things that you've you've followed with, but it sounds like you would have taken yep. drawn so much from that position and working with that business owner that would have set yourself up to not be that type of micromanager in you know running running the oh, yeah, without a doubt. have now, yeah. which we'll talk about shortly. What I'm curious about is because I've had a very similar thing happen um, to me than what happened to you with your injury from, you know, working so much, sitting in a chair for so long and the, the burnout. Personally, I uh, I went and got myself glandular fever because I was working so hard and I found out a year later that it turned into Epstein-Barr virus before I even knew about it, which was ridiculous. But I want to ask you about your injury and why burnout, you know, why do you think burnout happened for you and then what you learned from that and how that made you a better entrepreneur? Well, I, mean, I know exactly why it happened. Um, you know, I was so focused on building the business the first couple of years that it was up and running that um, I just worked my way into burnout. Really, that, you know, that simple. Uh, I was wearing all the hats. We were bootstrapping. You know, one minute I was setting up you know, or helping to set up an IT network. The next minute I was interviewing salespeople, uh, you know, in the afternoon I'd be training those people. And in the evening I'd be making calls to prospective clients and closing deals. I mean, I was doing everything. It was a 15 hour day, six days a week for two years in a row. Um, and, uh, that's why I burnt out. 
you know, I wasn't working out, wasn't um, eating well, I was drinking too much coffee, you know, it's, it's really just, you know, that, that, that um, kind of domino stack scenario of just one thing on top of another. And it, it was, it was all going to come crashing down sooner or later. And here's the thing in retrospect, I felt it coming. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't stop. I didn't hit the pause and try and avoid it. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, and the burnout happened, I was in hospital. I was on fluids, you know, and antidepressants and all that kind of stuff for a, a short period of time. And then the real part of the burnout hit me about a year and a half later, which was the back surgery. Um, you know, it was that kind of like ongoing result of sitting in that chair for so long, crushing the bottom of my spine, quite frankly, um, where I, I needed to have an L5-S1 spinal fusion, which is without getting too gory, uh, they rip out the disc in between your two lower uh, vertebrae and they uh, put an implant in, they stick it together with rods and screws. And then slowly but surely that implant fuses into a calcium deposit bone type material and and then it fixes itself. And I've been fine. It was 10 years ago, actually, uh, almost to the day, about a couple of years, a couple of months from now, it'll be 10 years that I, that I, um, had that operation, but I'm fine now, no problem at all. But that was, that was a, a final result of, of the burnout, you know? Yeah. It's, it's crazy that you can work so much that you put yourself, you know, it happens to like most of us that we work so much that we, and we just, I'm completely ignorant to like, oh, how's my health intake? How's my health, my sleep going? Um, yeah. You know, how's my food intake and all that sort of stuff. And then it's just too late. And I had this similar thing where I got Epstein-Barr virus and it took me like a year to sort of start to get to a point where I could just be able to surf longer than 30 minutes. Um, and even now still, it, it can affect me if I work too much and I've had to put in good boundaries in place to ensure that, I work less and have more fulfillment and don't expend too much energy in the wrong areas. Is that something that you've learned to do because of your, you know, your, your burnout? Like, did you force that this obviously forced you to pull back on work hours and all that sort of stuff, but what are some of the things that you have worked for you in terms of boundaries that have helped you uh, become a better business owner and have more time and more fulfillment from work? I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, looking back on it and still now today, it's a combination of, you know, first and foremost priorities to me personally have become a lot more kind of important that, you know, number one, I'm the first priority. Um, if I'm not in good shape mentally, physically, emotionally, then, you know, that's not going to help anybody else, right? My family, the business, our clients, whatever it is. So I've become the first priority. Um, and when you when you take that stance, you realize actually that all those things do have a compound effect. Whereas if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to have enough energy to perform during the daytime. Uh, if I eat crap, then um, clearly I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to be unhealthy. If I don't move my body uh, very regularly, I work out four times a week. I'm, I'm no intention of wanting to be the next, you know, Arnie or anything like that. But uh, I I work hard four times a week for an hour. Um, and you know, if, if I don't take time away from the business as well, um, and do other things that fire me up, you know, to use, um, uh, Marie Kondo's popular colloquialism, you know, spark joy, 
right? Mm. If I don't do things away from the business um, that do exactly that and allow me to hit that mental bandwidth reset button as well, um, then, you know, I'm not prioritizing things the way I should. Uh, for me, uh, those two things are uh, bonsai. I, I practice uh, bonsai. Uh, and and secondly, uh, sketching. I'm an urban sketcher. So those two things kind of take me away from work. And when I'm drawing a building or when I am wiring a tree or repotting a tree or whatever it is that I'm doing, that's just me doing exactly what I'm doing right there. And then I'm not th- I never think about business ever when I'm doing either of those two activities. And so it allows me to switch off mentally and just be in the moment for once. Um, and then, you know, the flip side to that also is with the business side of things, um, you make decisions, you make calls and you put things in place to make sure that um, those those non-negotiables um, don't get swayed or, you know, they're not off target. So first up, I've not worked a Friday for about six years now. Um, I only work 10 uh, through till 4 p.m. every day, Monday to Thursday. I take a quarterly getaway, a one-week getaway with my family every quarter. We do a annual sabbatical in the entire month of August where I'm off the grid. Um, and I take three full weeks over Christmas and New Year to be able to be with family as well. Um, so all of these things stuck together mean that you know when I am on work hours, I'm super productive mm. and, you know, my schedule is jam-packed full Monday to Thursday, 10 till four, uh, everything gets scheduled. If it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. So everything goes on the schedule. Everything goes on the schedule. Um, and, uh, at the end of the day, that's the, one of the reasons why I can run all these different businesses, why I can invest and advise several other businesses, uh, and still spend quality time on myself and with my family. Uh, and doing everything that I'm doing with our clients. So this isn't an overnight thing though, right? Like understand this has happened over the course of the last like eight or nine years. You know what I mean? And yeah, and through the experience of like, oh crap, I've I've worked too much. Oh crap, like this fr- Fridays don't, you know, I'd rather not have a Fridays off. And you you sort of integrated in over that over that time span. Yeah, I've got a yeah. Uh, I've been prescribed yeah. by one of my mentors four critical things that I need to do. Is I need to surf first and foremost. I need to travel. I need to play tennis, and I need to not work. <laughs> and if I can. And if I can do those priority and then have some more productive time with work and I actually sometimes, you know, in 2021, I tested out, you know, how little can I work and and how much will my business grow because of how little I worked because I'm focusing on what I like to call ITF, important tasks first, rather than all the the other mundane things that can be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, outsourced and hired out, which I want to segue into because you... You don't just get to, hey, all these all this travel that you're doing, Chris, not working Fridays and all these other cool things that you get to do, hang out with your family without having a team, right? Something else I've also learned is if you don't have team, you don't have time. So how important it is for an online business to hire virtual team members, do you feel? Well, it depends on how quickly you want to grow and how much you want to work. I mean, it's it's important if that's part of your plan, Right. Uh, I know many people who, you know, run six-figure businesses based around their expertise, uh, which is ultimately what I, you know, mentor folks in more than anything else nowadays, um, who, uh, you know, it's just them and one virtual assistant. 
you know, and they, they bring in, yeah, they bring in six figures plus per Minimal year. Stress. They're, yeah. Their, their profit margins are like 75%. Yeah. And, um, everyone's happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like whatever, whatever, whatever gets you going, right? Like it's all yeah. good. You don't need to make a million dollars. You don't need to make half a million. You, you can make, you know, whatever you feel is a comfortable living and live, you know, and work one day a week. Um, and if that's your jam, then, Hey, I'll help you achieve it. Plain simple. But if it is your plan, you know, to, uh, spread your message further, to spread your impact further, to make more money, to, uh, utilize that money, to be able to, you know, help other people, you know, whether it be through, you know, philanthropic work or, um, you know, charitable donations, whatever it might be. Um, if that's your plan, then yeah, a team is absolutely essential. Uh, you know, in 2014, I wrote a book called Virtual Freedom, uh, which many believe is, you know, the the Bible to outsourcing. Um, even folks that, um, you know, worked relatively closely with uh, very large authors of the time. I won't sort of drop names or anything, but uh, have said that, you know, it's kind of like drop away the outsourcing. Well, it's uh, many people have said that it's, it's what the outsourcing life section of the four hour work week should have yeah. been on steroids. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's a book that certainly has changed many, many, many lives. We sold over, I don't know, it's got to be close to a couple of hundred thousand copies now across Congrats. the board in, I think like nine different languages or something. So when, you know, that book came about because of the fact that I'd been involved in the outsourcing industry, we've got, you know, one of our companies is Virtual Starfinder, yeah. which is a VA recruiting company, um, which has been running for 12 years now. And, you know, I wouldn't have written that book, Jared, if I didn't think that it was going to help people. Writing a book is hard. Writing a book <laughs> with 60,000 words is freaking hard, right? <laughs> and so um, I, I, I believe that, you know, the importance of building a business uh, is one thing, but the importance of building it in a smart, savvy manner is a whole different kettle of fish. And yes, the team will certainly help you get there a lot for a lot faster. That's for sure. Yeah, I've I've personally been putting up a book because I don't just want to throw out something that's been done by a ghostwriter and doesn't have any real real rawness no. to it and and real add real value. Like you said, you know, you only get to selling hundreds of thousands of copies because you've you put in the your time yourself. Uh, I like that you said, uh, you know, you can have a, you know, a good six-figure income, one, you know, one VA and, uh, you know, not too much stress and low profit margins. But there are people that want to go to the next level. There are people that want to get that, that broader reach. Uh, and I like the way you framed it is that, you know, you can hire people if you want to grow your business. Whereas most people may have the mindset of, oh, I've got too much. I've got to wait until I've got too much work. And then, then I've got work to give to the person. So I'd love you to talk to that in terms of how do you work out who your next hire would be that can help you grow your business instead of having the mindset of, hmm, I've got to try and find more work to be able to afford to pay somebody to do that work. <clears throat> so in the book, um, right at the beginning of the book, actually, I get everybody to do an exercise called the three lists to freedom. And it pops up several times in the book because it's that important. I still do this myself all these years later, twice a year, because we all fall into bad habits, right? Um, yeah. regardless, I don't I don't care if you're Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk, or any, any other successful dude out there, like you're going to fall into bad habits from time to time. You really are. 
Um, and if you say you don't, you're lying, plain simple. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> which the is three list of freedom is yourself. yeah, well, exactly right. Three list of freedom, very very simple. And this this exercise actually will become a blueprint that you can follow to outsource and delegate a lot of your business tasks. Um, and here's the really good thing about it. Before we before I go through it very quickly, um, you don't need to do it all at once. You can actually plan out the delegation that this creates, this blueprint that creates for you um, over six months or even a year if you want to. Like This isn't a kind of one and done, let's get it all sorted now kind of thing. So it's very simple. You get a piece of paper and you draw two lines down it, creating three columns. In the first column, you write down all the stuff that you're doing day to day that you hate doing. And I don't use that word lightly. My mother used to say that you should never use the word hate. It's a very, very harsh word. Um, and there are things that we hate doing in our business. We know this, right? Yes. So that's the first stuff, the stuff that you just despise, but you you have to do it because your business is demanding that you do it in, mm. for one reason or another. The second list, second column, is all the stuff that you feel you might not necessarily hate doing, but you struggle doing. You're not very good at these things. Um, you know, I often joke and say that unless you're a graphic designer, you've got, you know, no place being in Photoshop designing a logo kind of thing, right? Uh, just because you don't necessarily mind doing it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be doing it either, right? So um, that's the second column is a list of all the stuff that you kind of struggle that you're not very good at, but you're doing it anyway. And then the third list is the most important list, the list that um, you should focus on above and beyond everything else. This is, you know, get out your beer, get out your wine, get out your coffee, your tea, whatever your beverage of choice is. I'm a bourbon guy. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you sit down and you write down all the stuff that you feel as the owner, as the head honcho, that you should not be doing, that uh, your time could be better spent doing more high-level activities like uh, you know, spending more time with your top 20% clientele or developing new programs and products and services or uh, launching new businesses or whatever it is, right? Uh, and those three lists, like I said, become a blueprint you to start figuring out what you should be delegating. And no, you don't need to hire somebody full-time. You don't even need to hire somebody part-time. You can bring somebody in on a, you know, task by task or project by project basis until you're in a position where the workload is enough to be able to hire somebody either part or full-time and when you can afford to do that as well. So um, yeah, it doesn't take a lot to get going with your delegation and your outsourcing. I love that you talked about the first column, the things that you absolutely don't like doing. Uh, this is something that I prescribe to some of my clients that I coach is that let's make that list and if you get the things that you don't like doing off your plate, then you start to focus on the things that and also the other, the second column of things that you, you can do but it's a bit frustrating. You get those out of the way and your business becomes that much more fulfilling which means you can withstand staying in business a lot longer and you want to, you've got more energy and drive to grow that business forward, right? Exactly. And not only that, um, but you will, you will be a more positive person as a direct result. You will be more positive in your environment. Mm. You will be more positive in your relationships, personal and business. You'll, you'll just be a more energetic, more fun individual to be around. Um, and that will pay dividends for years to come, obviously, particularly when it comes to relationships. You know, I'm a big believer that relationships should be treasured. They shouldn't be used. 
Uh, and in this online business world, everybody's trying to use each other. Everyone's yeah. trying to get on, you know, get access to each other's lists and <laughs> audiences and all this kind of crap. And this is one of the reasons why I don't do affiliate offers, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I could, I could run an affiliate offer to my audience three times a week every single week of the of the year I get contacted that much. But, you know, people follow me for me yeah. and what I'm all about, what I can do and what my businesses can do for them. So um, it's very rare that I will put them in front of somebody else's audience or somebody else's business. Very, very rare indeed. It does happen on occasion with close friends and, and you know, rel- relationships that I feel really confident about, but not very often at all. I can count on one hand how many times it's happened in the last decade, put it that way. Well, I really like that because then you're starting to touch on personal brand as well. Like if you don't want to just be, you know, you're not focused on just making as much money through this one channel that you're in. You just want to make it the most valuable channel. Um, And, you know, you're not clouding or muddying the water by just throwing in some affiliate deals along the way. And I think that really tells a like tells people a lot about you know yourself and and who they're listening to from other podcasts and whatnot about how much value they're actually bringing and focusing on not just making a bunch of money because they're building a list and that's what it's there to do rather than um, yeah. yeah so with the hiring coming back to the hiring what mistakes do people make or can be avoided when they're going to start hiring you know, maybe their first or second or third VA um, in some of these tasks, even these mundane tasks. I think a lot of a lot a lot of mistakes come down um, not to the VA; uh, they come down to the to the bots. Quite like um, and you know, th- there's two big things that really pop up over and over and over again. Uh, the first thing is that, um, particularly if they're making their first or their second hire, um, they a lot of people think that they can get one person to do like three people's jobs. Um, and it always makes me giggle because you you don't do that in in the real world. Yes, you just don't. People have you a don't. career; you stay stay in their path. Right. So you know, if if you're, I don't know, for example, let's say you're running a real estate business, you know, you would hire a salesperson to sell or to get people to rent properties. Um, you would hire a uh, you know web developer to update your website on a regular basis with all the new properties that you've taken on board. Um, and you would hire somebody else to pick up the phone and take messages and follow up proposals and contracts and all the rest of it. You wouldn't hire one person to do all that work. It just wouldn't, wouldn't happen. But for some reason in the virtual staffing world, people think that you can hire one person to uh, edit YouTube videos to uh, do SEO on websites, to um, <laughs> update social media, uh, and a host of other work uh, as well. So that's the big, big mistake. Uh, I call it the myth of the super VA. It doesn't exist. Um, yeah. And so uh, you've got to hire for the role, not for the task. That's the big uh, takeaway there. The other really big mistake um, is lack of onboarding and lack of training. People think that they're going to hire somebody, they're going to pop that magic pill, and they're going to get to work straight away and know how to do everything perfectly straight out of the gate. It doesn't happen either. Um, you know, you'd be amazed, though. I mean, it happens every day. We see it at Virtual Starfinder. Uh, every single day we've got people coming back. Oh, you know, the, 
they put this spreadsheet together for me and it was, you know, the colors were red and blue and our corporate colors are green and yellow and, you know, all this sort of, th- you know, he was aerial size 12 instead of times Roman 10. Whoa. You know, well, first of all, dude, it's 2022. What are you doing using times Roman for a start? And secondly, <laughs> like understand something that, you know, just because they know how to do the job doesn't mean they know how to do it or you. Yeah. That's the thing. Everybody's got their own way of doing things, and you need to show your new hires exactly how you like things done. Whether you do it personally, or whether you've got you know uh, video training, or you know somebody else that's going to train somebody up. Whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is, is they're the two big mistakes: that super VA myth, and then expecting that that you know you don't have to onboard or train somebody to get them to do the work that they've been hired to do. Yeah, the onboarding thing is one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that's i think is missing and if it's not done that's what causes so much of the frustration around hiring for people that are trying to build a team it's like oh i've found somebody and it worked for a bit and then i've got to find somebody again and got to and i have to train people every single time they hire whereas if they understand they have a good onboarding system and good sops that hiring can be actually fun because you can just test out who's the best person and work with the best person without having to add any additional time to your schedule, right? Yeah. And the other thing is, is like, number one, by not doing it properly, you will lose money. That's a given. Um, It's a costly exercise. But secondly, way more importantly than that, you'll lose time. And time is our most valuable commodity as entrepreneurs. Um, You know, you can make more money easily enough. You can't, you can't, make time like you can't bring back the time that you've spent or invested in something uh and and get a do-over it doesn't work that way with mm. with the clock so um they're, they're the two really big things that we see people struggle with the most and the other thing is you know also paying people you know they they again they think you know because the person's virtual um and a lot of the time you'll be hiring out of places like the philippines which is you know, still a relatively developing country, um, even though it's quite westernized in its approach to, you know, everybody speaks English. And well, I lived in the Philippines for 18 years. So, I mean, I've got a bit, of, you know, my wife is a Filipino, my kids have got Filipino blood in them, you know, so it's like, yeah. you know, I've got an affinity with Philippines and Filipino people. Um, and I'm telling you right now, people just full out take the piss, quite frankly. Uh, they, they hire somebody to do a job and they expect to be able to pay $5 an hour. Um, to you know, to 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 get this person to fundamentally help them run support and grow their business, when that person should be getting double that, they should be getting it. So um, hire for the role, not for the task. Make sure you spend time onboarding and training people properly, and pay them what they're worth, not what you want necessarily to pay them. Uh, you know, you you can't put a you can put a dollar amount on on good people, but I mean, it, it genuinely that's a big thing. Let me tell you something: if you don't pay them right, they won't stick around because they will carry on looking for what they're worth, and when they find it, they'll be off. Plain and simple. So you want to pay people. In fact, my rule is that I'll pay them what they're worth plus twenty percent because I never want them to leave. I think that's a good rule. The plus twenty percent rule is good, and I. Th- I think people don't understand the value of keeping people long, like virtual assistants long-term, like because there's all these other little things that just don't fit in between the SOPs that they learn about your brand that are sort Mm -hmm. of soft Mm -hmm. sort of skills that 
take somebody else and you hire to to learn so much more then think in fact you're actually gonna have a better roi keeping that person on and paying them more than going back to the drawing board absolutely absolutely and i think i'm i'm also a big advocate of when we hire people we have this mindset i shouldn't say we but some people have this mindset that they work for you and you give them tasks and they just need to get the job done and you've got nothing to do with it. But in fact, if you have a a mixed mindset about you working for them, the more you help them and the better, and what this can be not just your time, it can be systems and things that you give them in terms of incentives and whatnot. The more you work for them, the better job they're going to do as well. And they're going to want to stay longer. You're going to want to pay them more. It's, um, I think there's so many myths and so many mindset shifts that people should have around uh, virtual team that would be beneficial to their business and, and their team. (laughs) Absolutely. And people make mistakes. You know, the most important thing is you learn from those mistakes. You don't repeat them uh, over and over again. Um, But one thing is certain, like, you know, if you really want to truly scale a business and grow a business, you ain't going to be able to do it on your own. You are going to have to hire other talent. Uh, So even if you do have one or two bad experiences, don't give up. You know, those diamonds are out there. They are out there to be found. And you've just got to make sure that you continue to work to find them. And when you do find them, you polish them up and you, you take good care of them. Yeah, exactly. Now, I want to touch on branding real quick. Personal branding, it's not just about creating content on one subject and having a logo and some colors, right? So what would be some key elements that go actually into building a, a solid brand? Maybe some stories and, you know, I'll let you, you dive into it. Well, I mean, yeah, if you think of it really, a personal brand is what people say about you when you're not around. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, um, you know, when you're not at the business conference and your name pops up in conversation, what are people talking about? Uh, when you're not at the coffee meeting or the, or the dinner party and, you know, somebody mentions your name, like how, how are people talking about you? Is it a positive conversation? Is it a kind of negative, uh, kind of gossip type conversation? Um, and more importantly, what are you known that's ultimately what a personal brand is. It's what you're known for. What do people come to you for over and over and over again? Uh, and that's the business side of a personal brand. And then the personal side of that personal brand is your personality. You know, the good news is no matter what niche you're in, no matter what industry you're serving, regardless of how many competitors there are, out there. There's only one you. And when you build the business of you, it's a hundred percent original. And you need to get that into your head from day one, because people want to do business with other people. Uh, I don't think people really want to do business with big brands anymore. Uh, you know, when you, when you open a bank account and you know, you're, you open an account and you know, that bank will have your business immediately overnight. But in terms of getting loans, getting cards set up, understanding investment opportunities, building out a portfolio, all that stuff. That's not with the bank. That's with the people. That's with your relationship manager at the bank, right? And so um, I think personality comes into play, your background, your stories, your vibe, what you're all about. Um, You know, I call it like marketing like a magnet. You attract the best and you repel the rest, Ooh. just like a magnet does. Ooh. And so you, 
you know, you attract the people that are all about you and your vibe and what you're, you know, what you stand for. But at the exact same time, you are repelling away the folks that don't get you, that don't like you, quite frankly. We don't need to be liked by everybody. We just need to become somebody's favorite yeah. enough times to build up a decent sized audience, community, customer base, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, you know, that's why I put it out there. You know, I, when I'm being interviewed, when I'm on stage, when I'm speaking, when I'm running my own events, when I'm creating content, when I'm talking on my podcast, when I'm shooting videos, all that stuff, I'm, I'm a quirky dude. I like to uh, make silly dad jokes. I've got four kids. I think I've earned the right to do that. And so, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and drop those silly dad jokes. I'm also um, a fan of uh, building Lego with, with my children. So I talk about the Lego sex, yeah. you know, that, that, that we've picked up. Um, I do show, uh, myself pruning and wiring bonsai trees. Uh, I do, uh, enjoy, uh, sharing my bourbon and single malt purchases, uh, on social media. So all of these things compound into a personality that people can really, um, they can really either relate to or not relate to. There's no gray area. There's no messy middle. Um, and that's why, you know, when I hold events, um, and, and, you know, even when I speak, I've come down off stages before all around the world and people have like given me Lego sets. They've actually come Love to it. the event with a Lego set for me Love and it. given me a Lego set or, you know, I've had um, bottles of, you know, 18 year Glenfiddich with my name on the label. People wow. have personalized and given to me and all these. Other, so they know I'm a Scotch guy. They know I'm a Lego guy. I, I want somebody to buy me like a 50 year old, you know, Japanese maple bonsai. It costs about 10 grand. But if anybody out there wants to give me that, then, you know, bring it my way kind of thing. Right? Like, <laughs> these are the things, these are the things that like really make me me. Yeah. And you attach that to my experience um, and what I can do for you as an entrepreneur, mm. uh, then that's a very, very powerful proposition for the right person to invest in themselves. And we are in an environment today where we are more likely to invest in springboarding our own growth by working with coaches and mentors and consultants that have been there and done it already than we ever have been before in the, in, in, in the history of the world. Um, I don't know how much money, Jared, I've invested in working with mentors and being part of a mastermind and things like that. But if I had to put a dollar amount on it, including things like hotels and travel to get to certain places and things like that, I reckon I've dumped about half a mil into that development. Probably more, over right? Like 10 to 15 years. Probably more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably more. Exactly. And so, um, you know, you've got to look at that and ask yourself, why am I doing it? And you're doing it because it allows you to go further faster. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that I know that our people sign up to us for mm. uh, at the Upreneur Incubator with our program because people want to go from six to multi, six to seven. Uh, they want to go from seven to eight figures. Uh, and you can't do that on your own. You need to be surrounded by people that are on a similar journey, A, and B, you need to surround yourself with people that have already done what you want to do. Don't get so proud that uh, you don't ask for help when you need it because that will stunt your growth. That's 100% uh, dead cert right there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's that's just so good and so juicy for us to go chew on on, on the on the personal branding. I think 
people get to get a flavor of, of Chris Ducker or Jared Krause and, you know, that's what draws the may draw people in for the attraction, but they may stay as well because of that thing and then they build the trust and use you as a springboard to to get to the next level. And one of the key things here, guys, is is spend some money on some mentors. It's it's one of the most valuable thing. Um like Chris, who can help you with your personal brand. Uh, and I will be linking to Youpreneur, the book. Also, your other book on hiring. We'll be putting a link to that, guys, in the show notes. Chris, where else can people could check out some of your content? I noticed your interviews on your podcast, um, doing them in person. I'm like, oh, I just, I'm looking forward to being be able to do more in-person stuff very, very shortly. But where can we send yeah. people to check out your stuff? I mean, just chrisducker.com is where everything is. Uh, I wouldn't be much of a personal brand mentor if I didn't have my own website. <laughs> so yeah, chrisducker.com and then at chrisducker on all the social. Awesome. Everybody, thank you for listening. Before you go, I want you to think of two or three people that are looking to build a business and want to help do that with a team. Make sure you share this podcast episode with them. It's valuable for us, myself, Chris, to get out there, get some more exposure, get some more ears and help some more people. Uh, and it's going to be valuable for those who listen. So thanks for listening and I'll speak to you soon.